I absolutely love that song that we sang today. Uh, in Christ, we have living hope. And, you know, I don't know if you're watching this and you're like, man, I'd, I'd love to know more about that. I want you to know this. God loves you and sent Jesus to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. And in Christ, we can have hope. In Christ, there's forgiveness of sin. We become part of the family of God and we have a hope forever. And if you're somebody, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can email us, uh, call. We'd love to have that conversation with you that in Christ you can have a living hope. I love the fact you're joining us, and a lot of you have been with us throughout. Some of you, this is your first time hanging out with us. Uh, I'm glad that we have this opportunity. Jump in your living room, uh, kitchen, on the way to work, wherever you're watching this at. Last week, we started a whole new conversation, and the conversation that we started revolved around a question that James asked. If you have a Bible, you might want to go there. Book of James, chapter 3. It's kind of where we've been hanging out. We're going to be there for the next several weeks. But James asked this question, and the question is simply this, verse 13. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? It's a great question. That's a good question for us today, right? James is asking this simply because he knows that there's lots of people who think they're wise, but they have what he calls an earthly wisdom or a wisdom that's not from heaven. It's not a godly wisdom. It's a wisdom that's contaminated by selfishness, bitterness, envy. And I would even suggest it's driven by popular opinion. (laughs) You know, what's everybody doing? What's everybody think the right thing to do is? And so what he says is this, is that kind of wisdom leads to corruption and disorder and compromise and chaos and all kinds of things going What he saw that day is a lot like what we see today, right? And we said this last week, James is a real guy writing to real people, Jewish Christians scattered, worshiping in houses and all that kind of stuff. And and he looked around and what he saw that day is the same today, right? Uh, He looked around and he saw people who declared a faith in God, but it wasn't demonstrated. He saw people who one minute they were worshiping God and singing, you know, living hope. And the next minute they're slandering each other and they're cursing each other and they're yelling. He saw a lot of yelling, not a lot of listening. He saw like anger fracturing relationships. Uh, He saw rich people hoarding health, poor people being ignored. He saw uh, vicious comments and just kind of spreading like wildfire. He saw prejudice and favoritism running rampant. What he saw that day, we see play out today, every day, right? And all of this led James to ask the question, who's wise and understanding among you? And that's the question we're asking today. In fact, can I ask it of you? I just want to ask of you, who's wise and understanding among you? That's that's how James is posing the question. Because he says there's a real wisdom. We talked about this last week. And that real wisdom is from heaven. It comes from God. Don't you want that kind of wisdom? Don't you want a wisdom that comes from God? And we said last week, that kind of wisdom that comes from God comes from walking with God through really hard times. Sometimes that's where wisdom is forged, right? It's walking with God even when no one else does. Like wisdom is walking with God. He is the all-wise one. We said it this way, that if you want to know wisdom, wisdom is less of me and more of Jesus. I I did a uh, funeral service this last week for a dear lady in our church, unexpected, shocking. And I met with her family, and uh, I, when I meet with the family, I'll ask them, can you give me one word 
to describe your loved one who passed. And some of the family went around and they had words for her, kind and compassionate. But when I got to her husband, the word that he said was this. He said, the word that sums up my life is Jesus. That's powerful, right? That's wisdom. Wisdom is less of me and more of Jesus. James says that kind of wisdom, here's what happens. It shows up. If you want to know if you have that kind of wisdom, it shows up. Didn't just speak up. Hey, I'm wise, right? But it shows up in a beautiful life that has fruitful relationships. If you want to know if you're wise, look at your relationships. A beautiful life with fruitful relationship. Wisdom cultivates what James's half-brother Jesus said was the most important thing. Do you remember this? Jesus was asked this, what's the most important thing for us to focus on? You remember he summed up all of the Old Testament law and the prophets. He said, here it is, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he said. He said, it all kind of revolves around relationships, which is why I think, he says, I want you to love God first, that's the first, and it results in loving others. And it's why I think James, when he describes this wisdom in James 3, says this. Look at what he says. He sounds a little bit like his half-brother Jesus. Maybe Jesus' sermons kind of began to resonate with James. He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first, he says, first, circle that in your Bibles, first, pure. First of all, it's pure. Then, that results in, then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. He says, here's the deal. When I look at the garden of my relationships, do I see this, this beautiful life with fruitful relationships? Or do I see a garden full of weeds and drama and divisiveness and pettiness and snarkiness and hatred and turmoil? That's what he's saying. I think what James is saying here echoes what his half brother said, Jesus. And here's the way I would write it. If you're taking notes, I'd write it this way. Wisdom. You want about wisdom is devoted to loving God in a way that demonstrates God's love to others. That's wisdom. And he says it's loving God in a way that demonstrates, shows up in love for others. It's a beautiful love of God. It's a beautiful life that loves God in a way that results in loving others. It's committed to God in a way that shows up in concern for others. Or maybe a way to say it is this. It is a commitment to the first commandment that shows up in a second commandment lifestyle. Maybe that's the way to say it. And I think when James is looking around, he's like, that's not what I see. In fact, the very next verses, he kind of fleshes this out. Look at chapter four. Let's just go a little bit. Let's just go a little bit. And he says this. He's looking at them. He says, what's causing fights and quarrels among you? That word he uses, there's this constant, that first word fights, Here's what it means. This constant state of hostility exists. That's not familiar? (laughs) And then he says, quarrels, these outbursts of anger. Does that describe anything? It might describe your marriage, maybe your family, your friendships, the relationship with your coworkers, neighbors. Maybe it describes a lot of what we see in our culture. He says, what causes it? Then look what he says. What's the problem? He says, don't they come from your evil... Your desire, desires that battle, look, within what? 
you. He said, the problem's not out there. Them, their people over there, problem's in here. He said, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. In my Bible, this is what I have written. There's a two-year-old inside of me that keeps showing up. You try, you ever been with a two-year-old? <laughs> I got one inside of me. When you're with a two-year-old, though, they don't hide it or filter it or sugarcoat it, right? The two-year-old inside of us, I want what I want when I want it, and I want what I want to be the most important thing to you. And quite frankly, a lot of times, I want what you want and what you have. See, that's what he's saying. He said, I covet. I want what you want, I want what you have. And I want what I want to be the most important thing to me and to you. And so it's going to create a fight. It's going to create a tension. And then he goes on, and it affects the way I relate with God. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. Sometimes I just stop talking to God. I'm not getting what I want, right? And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Sometimes when I ask, I'm like, God, you better give me what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to be mad. You see, that's why I think James, in chapter 3, says the wisdom that's from heaven, notice what he said, I had you circle this in your Bibles, is first of all pure. He says, start, you got to start there. It's pure. What is wisdom? It's pure. That word pure means uncontaminated, undiluted. It means to be uh, in a marriage relationship is to keep yourself for the other, right? It's to be cheap. It, that's what it means. It means to be committed, and it has this idea of clean and committed. That's what pure means. And I think the reason, stay with me on this, I think the reason that James is saying wisdom is, first of all, pure is because he looks around and he's like this toddler inside of us that's fighting with every other toddler who's wanting what they want and wants that to be the most important thing. The source of the problem is first of all my relationship with God. I think that's what he's saying. That wisdom is first pure and if I can get there first then a garden of beautiful fruitful relationships is going to grow. And the reason I think that is because of what he says next in chapter 4. Look what he says. James pulls no punches. He says, he's talking, he said, you adulterous people. Hello. <laughs> Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason, he, God, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But, verse 6, he gives us more, say the word out loud, grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows grace or favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen. Wisdom, this is all I want to talk about today, is first of all pure. Wisdom 
is let's talk wisdom. It's first of all pure. That's what James is saying. And he's using the picture of marriage to make his point. And he's not pulling any punches. Because purity, he says, is about being committed and clean. No slide for that. Write it down. It's about being committed and clean. That's purity. It has that texture to the word. I'm devoted and I'm clean. Devoted and undiluted. That's, that's the meaning of the word. And James is looking around and he said, the problem is y'all are neither committed nor clean. That's what he's doing. He's looking around and he's, you're, you're neither. And so what is he saying then about a wisdom that's pure? Three things. If you're taking notes, and I recommend you do, or write this in your Bible somewhere, I think the first thing we see is this, that a wisdom that is pure is first and foremost devoted to God. It's devoted to God. When, when I think about, he's using marriage here, is a, he said, you adulterous people, he's using the marriage lingo. When I think about purity in my relationship to Jennifer, I am not double-minded in my commitment to Jennifer. I'm devoted. Um, this is worth writing down somewhere, just kind of as I was writing my notes. I'm devoted to the one I love, and I love the one I'm devoted to there's this symbiotic thing that goes on. I'm committed to her completely. What does it mean to be devoted? Because wisdom that is pure is devoted to God. There's three words I want you to write down. They're all, I think, in here. First is this. To be devoted to God means exclusive. Let's just use marriage as the example here. Uh, my devotion to Jennifer is exclusive. 32 years ago in November, I said yes to her. And when I said yes to her, here's what my yes to her was saying no to all others. It's exclusive. I'm saying, I am saying yes to you. I'm going to keep myself to you. I'm committed to you. You, I, I don't know how well I know some of you. Some of you I don't know, but, but I've been married to my wife 32 years. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years. You would think it was weird and wrong. If I said to you, I'm married to Jennifer, and yet I date other girls, how does that strike you? You would think it was weird and, and, and wrong if I said, I'm going to live with Jennifer as my wife. I'm going to live with my wife, but I'm going to love other women. You would think it was weird to say, well, Jennifer, she's my wife, and I walk with Jennifer on Sundays. But Monday through Saturday, I kind of like to walk with some other women. Like, like you'd think I was weird. You'd be like, uh, hold on a second. And I think that's why James uses this picture of marriage. Because he says, you adulterous people, verse 4, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? He's not saying because you're friends with people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what you're doing is you're a friend with the world system. You're a friend with the worldly wisdom. You're a friend with the way the world says to run your life. And here's what he's saying. Many of you, and this might be you, and, and this is for you today, and this is for me. He says, you want to marry God and date other gods. He's saying, you want to love God while loving other gods. He's saying, you want to walk with God on Sundays, while walking with other gods through the week. That's what he's saying. And he's saying when you do that, you're sleeping with the enemy. That's what he's saying. Like, like James just says it. Like, 
he just he's like it's he says you adulterous people he's like you're sleeping with the enemy and, and as weird as it would sound for me to tell you that I am married to Jennifer and dating other women or or if I told you that I'm married to Jennifer and I walk with her on Sunday but I like to walk with a bunch of other women through the week that'd be weird to you he said that's as weird as it should sound to us when we talk about our relationship with God. That being devoted to God is, is I'm in, I'm, it's an exclusive devotion. And when, when that devotion isn't there, I'm inviting someone or something into the place where he belongs. That's what he's saying. This is what happens. We talked about this a few weeks ago when I make God an accessory in my life. You know, we talked about it this way. God doesn't want to just be part of my life. I hear that all the time. It's very common in our culture. You know, God's a big part of my life, right? Well, Jennifer is not just a part of my life. Our lives are intertwined. It's exclusive. There's a covenant. It's it's like she's not just like, well, yeah, she's a big part of my life, right? As though she was a big part among other big parts of my life. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying this, that when I make God an accessory in my life, it's spiritual adultery. He becomes a God instead of the God of my life. That's why it says this weird verse maybe struck you as I was reading it. He's jealous. Verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He's jealous for me, not of me. Like, just let the marriage picture sink in. I'm jealous for my wife's exclusive devotion. That's a good kind of jealousy. She's jealous of that for me as well. If, 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 if I was dating other women, there would be this godly jealousy. Like, that's what? I think this exclu- God longs for our exclusive devotion, for our good, for our good. There's a second word that's interesting. I think they kind of go together. It's priority. When I think about the marriage illustration, my devotion to my marriage changes my priorities. My relationship with Jennifer 32 years ago in November became my priority. It affects my relationship with Jennifer. Think about it this way. affects all my other relationships. I care the most about what she says. I mean, there's other people I, I love what they say, and but I care what my wife says, right? Uh, my life totally revolves around my relationship with Jennifer. She's the person I see first in the morning, last at night. She's the person I check in with throughout the day. It's her opinion that I want to know what, whatever big decision I'm making. I am devoted to her. When she's not the priority of my life, I'm not devoted to her as my wife. I'm no longer recognizing her and the place she plays in my life. Uh, I would say it this way. When we got married, I submitted me to us. I submitted me now to us. I think that's what's going on here. James is kind of getting to this. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Being devoted to God involves submitting to God. You ever thought about that? Submit yourself to God. Live recognizing his place in your life. But here's the kicker. You're like, oh, here we go. Preacher's going to talk about it. Go submit to God. I'm going I'm to rock. I'm going to wreck your thought right now. 
He's saying submit to the God who submitted himself to the cross so he could have a relationship with you. Guys, that's mind-bending. If you ever wondered if God loves you, he loves you. He's devoted to you. He says, submit, trust. Let him play his rightful place. He's God. You're not. Submit to God, the same God who submitted himself to the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be part of his family with that hope we sang about, that forever hope. Submit to that God. You see, when I do that, I submit to a God who's devoted to me. I wonder what it would mean for all of a sudden God to be the priority in your life. What would it mean if he was the first person you checked in with, last person you checked out with, and the person you checked in with throughout the day? Like, just let me, don't make the Bible too hard. Don't make, he's using marriage as, a, as an illustration here. It's like, when I think about my marriage to Jennifer, it's like, I check in with her throughout the day. I care what she thinks. He's saying that same, that God is present. What would it be like if you woke up and like, there he is. You went to bed. There he is. Throughout the day, there he is. And what if his opinion mattered most? And his voice spoke loudest in your life. I think that's what it means for him to be a priority. And the third word that comes to mind is growing. When I'm devoted to my wife, my relationship is not stagnant, but it's growing. Well, how in the world does my relationship grow? Well, I pursue her. I pursue her relationally, emotionally, romantically, experientially, intellectually. I pursue spending time with her, doing life. That's what it means to pursue my wife. Well, look at what James says. He says, pursue God. He says, come near, draw near. Worship is the word. It's like, come near to God. He'll come near to you. The more we draw near to God, the more he draws near to us. It's like, that's what it means to be devoted. This exclusive relationship, not committing spiritual adultery. He's the priority. My life revolves around him, and I'm constantly pursuing him. To be devoted to God is to pursue the God who's pursuing me. Some of you, I want you to hear this because when I humble myself and I stop running away from God, maybe some of you are running away from God, and and I'm glad you're listening. Stay with me on this. I think what he's saying is, Uh, When when I stop running away from God and I turn and I begin to run to God, I find a God that's running to me. I think that's what he's saying. It's fascinating. Guys, this will change the way you read the Bible. When you see that wisdom is, is being devoted to God exclusively as a priority in a growing relationship that... All of a sudden, because some of us are like, my relationship with God, my Christian experience is stagnant. Well, maybe it's because I'm not pursuing God. And when I realize there's a God who's pursuing me, it changes the way I read the Bible. It's not a textbook. This is not a textbook. It's a love letter. It's God revealing his heart and his mind. Uh, This will change the way I pray. Uh, I'm not going to just come with a list. I'm not saying there's a problem with that. But I'm going to have this conversation like I do with my wife. First person I talk to, last person I talk to, I check in with. It's a conversation. I practice the presence of God in my life. 
change the way I come to church, go to gatherings. I'm not just going to a service, but I'm showing up to the family gathering where God is the center of attention. And it's a bunch of his kids making a whole bunch of him. It changed the way I serve. It's not like, ah, oh, they need volunteers. But I get to be a part of the family business. <laughs> like, you see what I'm saying? It just changes everything. That's what he's saying. My relationship, I'm devoted to God. I'm devoted to God. I'm not devoted to, 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 to church or even to being a Christian. I'm devoted to God. This is a big difference. Changes the, everything. I think James is saying a wisdom that is pure will ex- be exclusively devoted to God, the God who's devoted to me. A wisdom that's pure is devoted to God as the first priority in a way that my relationship's dynamic, not stagnant. Now, here's the rub. Here's the rub, right? Here's the rub. As much as God wants me to draw near to him and be devoted to him, there's someone else who doesn't. James talks about that. Look what he says. Submit yourselves then to God and resist who? The who? (laughs) The devil. And he will flee from you. He says, you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll what? He'll flee from you. That's interesting to me. Because the devil made me do it. The devil's after me. And he's like, hey, listen, you can actively resist the devil and he'll flee. That's in there. And I'm like, oh, because I just feel like he's on my heels. And, and I, I think there's something to pay attention to because he says wisdom that is pure, I'd write it down this way, a wisdom that is pure guards its heart to resist Satan. That word he uses is a defensive word. He's saying I, to resist Satan is to recognize Satan is real and he wants to contaminate our focus and he wants to dilute your devotion to God. Uh, Paul picks up on this theme in 2 Corinthians. Look, look at this passage. It says, uh, he's talking to the church. He says, I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, Satan's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure what? There's our word, devotion to Christ. You see, Satan wants to wreck your devotion to God. I think that's what he's saying. That saying yes to God is saying no to Satan and saying no to Satan is saying yes to God. Submitting to God is resisting Satan. Resisting Satan is submitting to God. Not listening to God is listening to Satan. Not obeying God is obeying Satan. You're like, really? Like, I think that's that's what Satan wants us to do, to ignore God, to make God a part of our life so that somehow he can shipwreck our devotion to him. Well, how in the world does Satan begin to do that? Well, write two words down. How does he do that? I'd write the word eyes. Eyes. Just write the word eyes down. And and let me just show you real quick this passage, Jesus talking in a sermon he gave. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's kind of a gateway to my mind and my heart. Think of it that way. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or you'll be, there's our word, devoted to the one and despise the other. Uh, when I, what I take in with my eyes impacts my life, my devotion, my mind, and my heart. Satan wants to distract my devotion. Think about this. We don't need to flesh this out. Like 
I don't need to make the point for this. Never has it been so easy to look at so much so often. Never in history. We are bombarded with stuff on our screens. Drive down. I mean, it's everywhere. We receive visual stimuli every day. And it can be easy to watch all kinds of things. And here's what you need to know. Those things, whether it's TV, Netflix, uh, YouTube, um, things on your phone, things on your computer, uh, whatever it is, even things, they all are conveying a message. And that message is some sort of wisdom they want you to embrace. Many times, I mean, I was watching some TV. I don't watch a ton of TV. I was watching TV here recently. And, and sometimes it's not just a wisdom they want you to embrace, but sometimes it's a wisdom they want you to downplay. And in, in my eyes, I was sitting there watching this and almost like in a catatonic state, right? I'm like, just because I was tired. I'm like, huh. And I'm taking in this messaging, and I think what he's saying is, these become the gateway to my mind. By the way, I can't unsee what I see. And I was reading an article, Forbes magazine. This is just, I geeked out on this for a minute. But it, it forms these tapes in us that keep replaying. They just keep replaying. Like I have this, this video thing. It's like, so this becomes this gateway to my mind and my heart, right? It's, like, it's interesting. He says, I want you to guard your heart. How do I do that? By guarding the gate to my mind and my heart. Uh, I, I think not only that, but, but what I see is so easy and, and I can see it so privately. I can see it so privately in our day and age. Uh, it's not so, like, pornography is rampant. And, and I don't need to make the case about how degrading it is. And, but the real issue in our day, I, I read some studies on this, is the growing number and percentage of people who say, well, there's really nothing wrong with it. Like That's now more the issue. It's not just that it exists. It's like, ah, what's the big deal? To guard my heart is to guard the gateway of my eyes. Now, I'd write the word ears down, and, and I don't need to tell any of you that we live in a world where there's lots of noise, right? All kinds of messaging. We have all kinds of people telling us what's important. Uh, what we should be devoted to. Commercials tell us what we need. Celebrities tell us how we feel. Politicians tell us what we should value. Friends tell us what's in. I listen to my favorite podcast, news show. They tell me what's important, right? To guard my heart is to guard the gateway to my mind and my soul. So my eyes and my ears, my eyes and my ears. Just make it simple. And I think I could take you a whole bunch of places. Uh, this passage, I remember... Um, is a passage I memorized some time back, and it's just it says, "How can a young person stay pure? Wisdom is pure. First of all, by obeying your word, I'm going to listen to your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden here it is your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's interesting. I got lots of things going in my ears, making their way to my heart. He says, "I want to let this somehow go into my heart." right? Wisdom is, first of all, pure. Uh, I, I, I say it this way. Uh, so wisdom, this is, this is what we've talked about so far, is, is devoted to God, 
and wisdom is going to guard its heart to resist Satan. Uh, when I meet with young couples that want to get married, I give them uh, homework. And I ask them a weird question. They all look at me like I've got five eyes when I tell them to do this for me. I say, I want you to come back next time we meet and tell me how you're going to affair-proof your marriage. And they all look at me like I have five eyes. And I said, I know, but, but nobody who's ever been in an affair got married and said, I think one day we'll have an affair. Like, nobody does that. So, so how are you going to do that? And they come back and they take their best swing at it. And this is what I tell them. And I think this is what James is saying. Best way to affair-proof your marriage is to play offense and defense. I got to protect the covenant of my marriage and I got to pursue my wife, my devotion to my wife. When I stop pursuing her, I'm vulnerable. When I stop protecting our covenant, I'm vulnerable. It's offense and defense that seals it. I think that's what he's saying. Am I, de- am I pursuing God? Am I devoted to God exclusively as priority? And is it a growing relationship? Am I guarded? Is my heart guarded? Am I guarding the gateway? That's what he's saying. It's that simple. Yet that hard. He said, wisdom's first pure. That's what it is. That's what it means. You're thinking what I'm thinking, aren't you? Or at least you should be. What about all of us who've messed up? Like, okay. Well, I'm glad you asked that because that's exactly the people he's talking to in the passage. And quite frankly, that's exactly us. And here's what he says, verse 6. For those of you who've messed up, you're like, man, I feel like a spiritual adulterer. I haven't guarded my heart. Look what he says, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. He who? The one you've been cheating on. The God you've been cheating on. That passage blows me away every time I read it. The God that you've had the affair on, that you've had other gods in your life, that God gives you more grace. Wow. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. The gateway to that grace is humility. Uh, Grace is available. That tells me something about wisdom. I want you to write it down this way. A wisdom that is pure deals humbly and honestly with sin. Look at what he says next. He says, he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Wisdom from heaven, I want to say it this way. This is how we're going to close today. We're going to pick it back up next week. Wisdom from heaven, wisdom that is pure, never will candy coat sin. It's not going to ignore sin. It's not going to lighten the severity of it. It's not going to minimize the danger of it. That's why he says, wash your hands, you sinners. He says, clean up the external. There's things that need to change. There's behaviors that need to change. There's habits that need broken. But you see what he says? He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. He said, if all I do is clean up the outside without addressing the inside, I'm not going to get to the root of my problem. My behaviors are just a fruit that are connected to something that's in my heart and my mind, and that's the root. And he said to purify it, 
is to somehow come and call it what God calls it. That's confession. Not to sugarcoat it, not to excuse it, not to say, I made a mistake, to say, there is sin inside of me. That's what he's saying. Wisdom is, first of all, pure. And, and then he says this, grieve, mourn, and wail. I get the sense this is not, sorry, I got caught. But this is a brokenness, a sorrow over my sin. I'm struck with, write this down in your notes somewhere, Psalm 51. David, when he is talking to God about his sin, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, God. Don't cast me from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You don't delight in sacrifice, a bunch of religious activity, or I would bring it to you. But my sacrifice, here's what he says, is a broken and a contrite heart. There's a sense to which my sin grieves me because there's a fractured relationship. Uh, when I sin against my wife, when I do something that offends my wife, I'm not sorry I got caught and I broke the rule of husbanding. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm broken over that I've hurt my wife. I've offended my wife. The relationship's fractured. And then he says, change your laughter to mourning. He's not saying don't laugh and your joy to gloom. He's not saying don't ever, that's not what he's saying. I think what he's saying is don't, I think it's what he's saying. Will you hear me out on this? Don't make sin the punchline. In our culture that's addicted to levity, he says don't sanitize it with your sarcasm. I think what he's saying is you'll never know pure devotion with God till you humble yourself and get honest with God and deal with your sin. And when you do, when you do, what's he going to do? Knock me down a few pegs. <laughs> Look what he's going to do. Now humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll what? He'll what? Say it out loud. He'll lift you up. Earthly wisdom wants to always lift itself up. Wisdom that is first of all pure, humbles itself, deals honestly with sin, and allows the Lord to lift them up. So can I ask you a question? Who's wise and understanding among you? You see, a wisdom that is pure is devoted to God. Exclusively as priority, everything else revolves around with a relationship that's growing because I'm pursuing God. Are you pursuing God? Do you know God? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Wisdom that is pure is going to guard its heart to resist Satan. Are you guarding the gateway to your eyes and your ears? What voices loom the loudest? Which ones do you listen to the most? What are the messages that resonate? What about the things in your life that are kind of off? The sin that shows up. How do you find yourself dealing with sin? Wisdom that is pure deals honestly and humbly with sin before God in a way that confesses it. And you know what he says? 
if you confess your sin, I'm just. I'll forgive you. The God who invites you is pursuing you. Who's wise and understanding among you? So God, I pray that we would be people who pursue wisdom and understanding that is first of all pure. I thank you that you're a God who's devoted to us to the point where you sent Jesus to die for all the wrong things that we've ever done. And I pray for friends who might be listening to this who've never said yes to Jesus, that today might be the day they say, yes, Jesus, we want you to be savior of my life, leader king of my life. And for a whole bunch of my friends out there who've said yes to Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us to be devoted to you, pursuing you exclusively as the priority of our life, that we would guard our hearts and that we would deal with the sin in our life honestly and humbly. Thanks for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.